Six deals and Bonds hits right high. Hits it deep. It is out of here. 7.56. Bonds stands alone. He is on top of the all-time home run list. What is up, everybody? Welcome back to SaberCast. This is episode 7, and it has been a long time coming here. I believe episode 6 was uh, last July, I think, because we did it before uh, the beginning of the 2020 season. So it has been a while. A lot has happened. I'm not really going to cover everything that's happened since then. I mean, I'm not going to really dive in too much to the 2020 season. I'm not really going to talk about, I mean, obviously everybody knows the Dodgers won the World Series. I'm not going to really cover that too much. I'm just going to talk about some things in baseball that have been happening recently, and uh, those type of things are regarding the offseason, teams that are improving, teams that might be getting worse, as well as the recent Hall of Fame induction uh, in the past week or so. So I have a lot to say about both of those topics, and uh, let's just dive right into it. Howie Politics and State Affairs Pro offer insider election coverage, polling, and analysis in Indiana. Our nonpartisan news and legislative tools create a winning combination pro subscribers can't live without. For all the resources you need this election season and beyond, visit pro.stateaffairs.com slash IN. That's pro.stateaffairs.com slash IN. The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. So let's go ahead and kick things off talking about the Hall of Fame. On the 26th, which was Tuesday, I believe, of this week, they announced who would be making it into the Baseball Hall of Fame in the class of 2021. I'll go ahead and talk about my ballot a little bit here, just to give you a sense of what I was hoping would happen, what I maybe predicted would happen, because obviously those two types of things didn't really line up. Not everybody that I voted for was going to get in, obviously, but I'll give you some insight on that here real quick. As far as my ballot goes, I had written down here Barry Bonds, Roger Clemens, Todd Helton, Manny Ramirez, Scott Rowland, Gary Sheffield, Kurt Schilling, and Billy Wagner. So I had eight names written down here who I would have put on my ballot if I was a writer, obviously. And nobody got into the Hall of Fame. Uh, Roger Clemens and Barry Bonds were both hovering around the 61-62% marker, both in their ninth year. And Kurt Schilling was about 15, I think it was exactly 15 votes shy of getting that 75% um, mark to get into the Hall of Fame. So nobody got to 75%, nobody made it in, which is really awful. And when you think about the 14 writers who handed in blank ballots, that's, I mean, I've never heard of anything like that before. Like, if you have the opportunity to vote, if you are a, a writer and you have the capability to cast your vote and your opinion and voice means that much, there is no way you can look at this ballot and say nobody deserves to make the Hall of Fame. Even if you're a guy that's like, I'm not putting in any cheaters, I'm not putting in 
any, if you want to say cheaters, whatever, steroid users. I don't think steroid users are really cheaters per se. Maybe they are cheaters, but that's a different topic. Even if you don't want to put in those guys that use steroids, there are still plenty of options that you could put in. Uh, I know a lot of people, character claws, whatever, won't put in Schilling. I think Schilling's a Hall of Famer and obviously um, 70, whatever, 72%, something like that also agreed with me on that. But let's say you're not going to put Sheffield, you're not going to put Bonds, you're not going to put Clemens, you're not going to put any of those guys that supposedly took steroids. You still have guys like Andrew Jones, Bobby Abreu, um, Scott Rowland, Todd Helton, who are... I'd say pretty much clear Hall of Famers. I didn't have Abreu or Jones on my ballot, but on second thought, I'm, I probably could have. Um, I only had eight guys written down, so I probably could have added those two to make it around 10. But even if you weren't going to vote Bonds, like I said, or you're not going to vote Clemens, you're not going to vote Schilling, you still have four or five guys that are Hall of Famers in my eyes. And the fact that 14 people looked at that ballot and said none of them deserve to be in the Hall of Fame is just preposterous to me. Now, on the topic of Scott Rowland, there was a lot of encouraging progress for him. He's on his fourth year on the ballot, I believe, and he is already making huge strides. I mean, double-digit jumps from last year to this one. So I think he's probably going to make it in if he keeps on this pace, which obviously he won't. He won't get to like 70-whatever percent. Uh, by next year, I don't think it's going to change that much. But he's still got six years left on the ballot. I think he's going to keep taking um, massive jumps. And uh, and I think he's going to get into the Hall of Fame, which is making me very happy as a Cardinals fan. But, you know, as just a baseball fan in general, one of the best third basemen of all time, um, offensively and defensively, I think he's a no-brainer to put in. A lot of first ballot guys also dropped off the ballot, not meeting the 5% mark needed to stay on. Those guys would be Aramis Ramirez, Barry Zito, Latroy Hawkins, A.J. Burnett, Shane Victorino, Dan Heron, Michael Kadire, Nick Swisher. None of those guys are really Hall of Famers. The only guy that would maybe possibly get talked about maybe getting considered for a Hall of Fame is Barry Zito. Maybe. I don't know. I mean, none of those guys are really like Hall of Fame names. And when you look at their stats, I mean, yeah, they're perennial all-star type of guys, but there's a a massive difference between perennial all-stars and Hall of Famers. So the fact that all those guys were dropped really doesn't make uh, that much of a difference to me. I don't really have any strong feelings on that. It's just kind of whatever. They weren't going to make it in anyways. So we talked about Kurt Schilling being 15 votes short of making into the Hall of Fame. And uh, he really thinks that that's a load of crap. Um, I don't really blame him. I think he's a Hall of Famer, and a lot of people agree with me on that. And obviously, whatever, like 73% of voters agreed with me on that. But yeah, a lot of people did leave him off because of the character clause thing. I mean, he said a lot of stuff. He talks on Twitter all the time. He's got pretty, um, pretty controversial opinions. And whether you agree with him or not... Um, there's no doubt that a lot of voters took that into consideration when casting their ballots. And I'm sure a lot of guys, you know, didn't put him on their ballot because of things that he said. Maybe he talked himself off the ballot, kind of. I really think that that's crap. And I know that, you know, when the official definition or whatever of the Hall of Fame talks about those who are best on the field and showed the best sportsmanship 
and I know they use the word character in there, and that's a point where a lot of people say, Kurt Schilling, not a person with great character, or Barry Bonds, Roger Clemens, guys that broke baseball's rules, and I really dislike that character clause. The Hall of Fame is a museum for the greatest baseball players of all time, and the story of baseball throughout history in the 150 years that we've been playing it. It should not be a hall of the greatest human beings to ever play baseball, the nicest and the most um, you know, politically correct people to ever play baseball. Barry Bonds, the greatest player of all time, without a doubt in my mind, only other guy that could possibly compete with him would be Babe Ruth, um, but Bonds still far better in my eyes, is not going to make it. He's not going to pick up 13% in just one year if he's barely budging from from year to year in his first nine on the ballot. Same thing with Clemens. Both of them are going to miss. And Clemens, who I would consider probably a top five pitcher of all time, I haven't really looked at you know the all-time pitcher stats and made a huge grand list. But off the top of my head, I mean, seven Cy Youngs. I know awards don't really mean everything, but um, Clemens is still undoubtedly one of the best pitchers of all time. And then I said Barry Bonds, one of the one of, if not the best, players of all time. Both of those guys are going to miss. I think that that is completely awful. And um, you should be voting based on skill on the field and not anything else. The Baseball Writers Association of America is really just corrupt. We need to abolish them and find a new system for you know putting players in the Hall of Fame. Because at this point, the Hall of Fame really holds no weight at all in my eyes. I mean, considering that Bonds isn't going to make it, Clemens isn't going to make it. I mean, and Viz, guys like Omar Vizquel are, or Tim Raines, who I know those those guys were good, whatever. Even though I'm not a, I'm not super high on Vizquel. Um, those guys are good, but you can't tell me when you're looking back and you're looking at who's in the Hall of Fame, and let's say that that's the way you evaluate baseball history. You'll say, oh, the greatest players of all time are the players that are in the Hall of Fame. And if somebody's in the Hall of Fame, they're better than somebody who's not. You cannot look back and say, Omar Vizquel, who's going to end up making it. He's only on his fourth year, and he's around the same percentage as Roland. You cannot look back and tell me, Omar Vizquel was a better baseball player than Barry Bonds. I mean, that is just completely awful, an awful thing to, to say and an awful way to think just in general. But that's the way that the baseball writers have established how the Baseball Hall of Fame is going to work, and it's really just a terrible system. It's really corrupt, and like I said, it's just a bunch of like 90-year-old guys who have been watching baseball since 1960 or whatever. It's just a bunch of those guys deciding who were the best people to have ever played baseball, and it's completely subjective, and it's just these old men trying to play God and gatekeeping the Hall of Fame, which is already completely filled with racists and wife beaters and cheaters and spitballers and just awful people in general. So I don't think there's any integrity left to protect. I know that's a, an argument a lot of people say, you know, protect the integrity of the Hall of Fame, keep like cheaters and, and uh, bad people out, referring to Bonds, Clemens, Schilling. I mean, if you look back at the people that are in the Hall of Fame, there's countless people that corked their bats or that took illegal drugs or that uh, had domestic violence issues, or that were terrible racist people. But, I mean, people will say, oh, it's the 1930s, 1920s, it doesn't matter as much. I mean, that's not an excuse. You can't say that 
Kurt Schilling, if you want to say Kurt Schilling's racist, which I don't, I'm not, I have no place to say that. If you want to argue that, you cannot say Kurt Schilling is more racist than this player from the 1920s because in the 1920s it was more socially acceptable to be racist. That is just terrible thinking, and the whole Hall of Fame is just filled with awful people and admitted cheaters, and it's just, it's a complete mess, and it just it means nothing anymore to me now that Bonds and Clemens aren't going to make it in. I think I'm getting a little too fired up about this, but it's something I'm definitely passionate about, and it's a system that is corrupt and one that really needs to be fixed. So let's go ahead and move on to an off-season review. I'm not going to really talk about everything that's gone on so far in this off-season. I'm not going to talk about every minor move. I just have a few teams written down here that I'm going to go ahead and dive into some moves that they've made, the really the big adders, um, the big buyers for this offseason so far. So let's go ahead and dive into that. First off, I want to go ahead and talk about the Toronto Blue Jays who have made three really, really solid free agent signings. Well, we'll call it two. They've made three big free agent signings. I think two of them were really good, and the other one might be a bit questionable. And they've also traded to improve their starting rotation. So let's go ahead and start things off. Kirby Yates was the first guy they added this offseason, and arguably a top five um, reliever in baseball. I'm not sure where I would rank him. I have yet to do my... um, my relief pitcher rankings so far, but off the top of my head, he would be at least top 10. Missed most of 2020, only pitched like what, four innings, I think in 2020 and was awful in those four innings had, you know, an ERA over 12 or whatever. You can't, you can't say that it's a, it's a four inning sample size. That means absolutely nothing. So looking at the past two years that he has been completely healthy, 2018 and 2019, He has posted a 1.67 ERA, a 1.93 FIP, a 2.45 XFIP, a 2.14 Sierra, and a 42 DRA minus. Those are absolutely disgusting numbers and numbers that you would associate with a top five reliever in baseball. So I think that that is a big move. It doesn't look like they're planning on bringing back Ken Giles, which if they did would just provide them with Yates and Giles to back of the bullpen guys who I think I guess would split safe situations but it doesn't look like they're going to be bringing back Giles and Anthony Bass is obviously signed with Miami so there goes their two free agent relievers they still have a a decent bullpen I I guess I would say Um, but Yates is obviously going to be uh, the big guy uh, in the back of the bullpen getting every safe situation They also went out and acquired, I would say, the biggest bat in this free agency class in George Springer. Um, They got him on a six-year deal and AAV, which I'd say is pretty reasonable for a top 15 player in baseball, borderline top 10. If you look at his numbers over the past two years, he's had a 142 DRC plus since 2019. And since 2018, he's had a 138 weighted runs created plus a 237 ISO, and he's been in the top 10 in XWOBA in the MLB since 2019. And he's been average on defense, I guess, with a three outs above average since 2017. People like to hate on him because he was an Astro, and I guess I get that, but it really doesn't take away from how stellar of a player he is. He's consistently been putting up fantastic offensive numbers at the top of the lineup for the Astros, and this is adding a surefire center fielder for the Blue Jays, whose center fielder at the time, I guess, would have been Randall Gritchick coming into this season. But now they've got Springer, they've got their center fielder, they've got their leadoff hitter for the next six years. And that should take Springer into his mid-late 30s, which 
I guess, yeah, it would be time for a drop-off, maybe shift him to a corner outfield spot. But for the next few years, the Blue Jays seem like they're going to be buying and going all in to try to take that division away from the Yankees or the Rays. And, I mean, they're looking good on paper so far. They also went out and signed Marcus Semien to a one-year deal worth $15 million. Was that a bad deal? Um, I'd say yes. Probably yes. I mean, it's a one-year deal, so you can get away with maybe overpaying a little bit. But, I mean, $15 million for, I'd say, a borderline top 10 shortstop in baseball. I think I had him ranked as number 10. But I could see how you can make a case for some players being better than him. His 2019 was a fluke. He put up a 138 weighted runs created plus, which is good. It's very good, especially for a shortstop. But, I mean, we all expected regression from that, and that's what we got. He had a 92 weighted runs created plus in 2020, which I know really doesn't mean as much. But look at his track record before 2019. From 2015 to 2018, he posted WRC pluses of 97, 98, 97, 97. So he's been a slightly below average hitter in the previous four seasons before 2019 and broke out again in 2019, like I said, but has really gone back, I guess, to being that average bat and below average fielder, which he really is. He has never posted a positive outs above average in a single season. I do think it was a pretty sizable overpay for the Blue Jays but I mean it gives them another infielder so I guess they'll move him to second and then move uh, Biggio to third and then Guerrero will play first so I mean that's a pretty good infield right there you got around the horn you got Biggio at third Bichette at short Semien at second and Guerrero at first and then I guess Rowdy Telez could DH or Gritchett could DH I mean that's a pretty good team right there that's a really solid offense. You got Alejandro Kirk behind the dish or Danny Jansen behind the dish, whichever path they decide to take in that. And then you got Teoscar Hernandez, Lourdes Gurriel out in the outfield too. That is a really gross lineup right there. I mean, that's one that's like maybe top five in the American League. Easily a better lineup than Tampa's. It's just a, a matter of how their pitching is going to perform. And moving on to that, they went out and they got a third solid, I guess, lefty for their rotation in Steven Matz from the New York Mets. I say solid-ish, solid, I guess, whatever. If you want to talk about, I mean, Ryu is their ace, obviously, and he's been good, real good the past few years. And you got Robbie Ray, who they brought back, and now you go ahead and get Steven Matz, who has not been good in the past few years. He was really awful in 2020, but... Like we say for everybody, you can't really put too much weight on 2020. Since 2018, he's posted a 4.09 ERA, a 4.61 FIP, a 4.23 XFIP, and a 4.27 Sierra. So those aren't really bad. I mean, that's back of the rotation material, I guess. And I guess that's what he's going to be for Toronto. He's going to end up being like their fourth or fifth guy. And I don't think that's awful. I mean, he's got he's got the stuff like we've seen from him in in years past to to be effective at the major league level and I think that that's a pretty low risk high reward trade right there they did give up Sean Reed Foley um, to New York there's no distance too far for the perfect trip hi checking in for or the perfect table 
Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. I liked him. He's only 25 years old. He's not had too much success in the majors. But, I mean, that's not over too much of a sample size. I think he's got a good repertoire. He's got good stuff. He can play, I guess, at the major league level and be a back-of-the-rotation guy. But the Blue Jays said, you know what, we want an established veteran, so they go out and they trade for Steven Matz. Like I said, low-risk, high-reward, I think, type of guy. Just an innings eater if he can stay healthy. And um, I don't know. I mean, I'm kind of neutral on that move for the Blue Jays. But overall, the Jays really have been, I'd say, the the second biggest winners, I think, of the offseason behind the team that we're just about to talk about here. Adding Yates, Springer, Simeon, and Matz so far, I think, is pretty big. And I mean, they they were rumored to me maybe be adding Michael Brantley, which would have pushed them way over the top, but that's kind of overhauling it in the outfield there. And then you've kind of got some guys that you don't know what to do with. You got a lot of money on the books there. But Brantley's back with Houston now, so you don't got to worry about that. So I said Toronto was the second biggest winners of this offseason so far. Let's go ahead and dive into the undisputed probably winners. You can ask anybody, I'd say, that they would all agree this is probably the team that's been the most active, clearly the most active, and um, probably the biggest winners of this offseason so far. The San Diego Padres, who were defeated by the Dodgers in the National League Division Series last year, and they see that as a division up for grabs, even though they were swept by L.A., and L.A.'s clearly the better team. They, respect to them, respect to Preller for going out and making moves that will put them in a good spot for the near future. They added three 1-2 rotation guys that are really pushing their team over the top, I guess, now, and making their rotation easily the best in baseball. They go out and get Hugh Darvish, from the Chicago Cubs. They also got Victor Caratini from him. And that was just for five or so prospects, I think, if I recall correctly. Now, Darvish, we know he broke out this year. He's Well, he's been good in years past. But this year was a Cy Young finalist. And he was hurt in 2018. But over the past two years, he's had a 3.39 ERA, a 3.60 FIP, a 3.22 XFIP, a 3.43 Sierra. And those are really solid numbers. Those are two, three in the rotation um, type of numbers right there. And I guess weighing recency, if you want to put a lot more weight on 2020, then I guess you could say he becomes their ace, which I I wouldn't go as far to say that. I'd still probably say it's this next guy, Blake Snell, who is going to be their ace. And yeah, I mean, they got Snell from Tampa. And I don't. I, that was much more surprising, I think, than, than you Darvish was them going out and getting Blake Snell, partly because it's just confusing. Why would Tampa want to get rid of their ace pitcher, undisputed ace pitcher, Cy Young winner from two years ago, after just making it two wins away from the World Series? I mean, are they like tearing down now? They lost Morton to Atlanta, and now they go out and trade one of the younger, better parts of their team. It just doesn't make any sense to me. But the Padres... 
They saw that opportunity. They went and got Blake Snell, who's had a 2.85 ERA, 3.27 FIP, 3.19 XFIP, and a 3.43 Sierra since his Cy Young season in 2018. Now, both Darvish and Snell are under contract until 2024, and... That's what four seasons now, 2021, 22, 23, 24, that they're going to have those those pitchers under contract. And that's going to be around the time that, you know, Fernando Tatis is going to be in his prime and Jake Cronenworth, if he's able to sustain his success that he had in this rookie year, he'll be performing at a good level right there. And you got a, a lot more younger guys. You got CJ Abrams, who's going to be coming up and Trent Grisham. I know he's not super young and not super like a lot of potential guy, but he's still going to be a solid player. I mean, you've got pieces. Manny is still going to be a very solid hitter and a very solid fielder. 2023, well, I'd say 2022 to 2024 is going to be the Padres' window, I think, to win a World Series. And it's really the path in the NL goes through the Dodgers, and the Dodgers are still going to be good for a long time. All their pieces that have been instrumental in helping them get to three World Series in the last four years are still fairly young. Guys like Bellinger or Seager and Dustin May, Walker Bueller, they've still got a lot of young talent and a lot of guys in their farm system, guys like Gavin Lux that are going to be coming up or Peters or Kiebert Ruiz. They've got pieces to still sustain their success from the 2010s into the 2020s. And I think that that division in the NL really still goes through LA. But the Padres have set themselves up quite nicely, acquiring Darvish Snell and Joe Musgrove from the Pirates. Musgrove was kind of the cherry on top here. A lot of people were speculating that Musgrove would go to the Yankees, who we'll talk about in a little bit. But obviously, AJ Preller is just jumping into the mix and doing whatever he wants. He's playing MLB The Show and has the trade override on. He's doing whatever he wants, making it all work. He's living the GM's dream here, going out and getting the Pirates ace, if you want to call him that, over Jamison Tyone. Obviously, last year he was the ace with Tyone Hurt. But since 2018, Musgrove's had a 4.23 ERA, a 3.69 FIP, a 4.03 XFIP, and a 4.06 Sierra. Those are pretty respectable numbers. I wouldn't say they make him San Diego's ace. It's still probably going to be between Darvish and Snell for that title there but you're adding a guy that's I mean think about their rotation here now Musgrove is their fourth probably their fourth best pitcher in their starting rotation and he would be the best starting pitcher in I'd say maybe a third if not more teams in Major League Baseball but he's going to be their number four guy behind Darvish Snell and Lamette and that rotation right there you got Snell at the one, probably, Darvish, Lamette, if he's healthy, Musgrove, and then Chris Paddock, who is looking to have a bounce back year after a rough 2020. And that's not even t- to talk about Mike Clevenger is going to be hurt this year. Imagine if Mike Clevenger wasn't having Tommy John and was going to miss 2021. You would have a rotation of Snell, Darvish, Musgrove, Lamette, and Mike Clevenger. That might be one of the best rotations ever assembled. I mean, you want to talk about the 2018 Indians or Cleveland, whatever, that it was the Indians in 2018. If you want to talk about that being one of the best rotations ever assembled, how about the 2021 Padres, if Clevenger was healthy, obviously. Even without Clevenger, they still have 
four, I would say, all-star level pitchers in their rotation. That's pushing them way over the top for best rotation in baseball. A team I think could give the Padres rotation a run for that title of best rotation in baseball might be the New York Yankees. Now, hear me out here, guys. Obviously, everybody knows Garrett Cole, probably the best pitcher in baseball. If you want to say it's DeGrom, then you can say that. But I think Cole is probably 1A, DeGrom's 1B. You got Garrett Cole, and then you go out, and you know Cashman knows that the Yankees needed to address starting pitching. So after they bring back DJ LeMahieu, obviously, they're going to go out and spend money on pitching. And that's that's what they did. They got Jamison Tyone from the Pittsburgh Pirates, who has been a very, very underrated pitcher uh, when he's healthy over the past couple years. He missed 2020 uh, with injury. He hasn't been fully healthy since 2018. And in that 2018 season, which is still recent enough, it's still in that three-year window, he had a 3.20 ERA, a 3.46 FIP, 3.58 XFIP, a 3.77 Sierra, and a 76 DRA minus. Those are still like disgusting numbers. And I know he's probably not going to be that effective coming off a couple injury-ridden seasons, or 2019 was injury-ridden and then he missed all 2020. But he's still got the tools capable of being a number two in that rotation. So that number two spot is going to either go to him or to Corey Kluber. I'm a big Corey Kluber truther. I was really high on the idea of my Cardinals picking him up. I knew he wouldn't be too expensive. Yankees got him on a one-year deal, and I'm pretty jealous, not going to lie. Wish the Cardinals would have made a move for him. But, of course, the Yankees have all the money in the world, and they've got ownership that's willing to spend, and they go out and they get Corey Kluber. Now, Kluber hasn't been fully healthy since 2018, and if you look at his 2018 numbers, 2.89 ERA, a 3.12 FIP, a 3.08 XFIP, a 3.23 Sierra. At his peak, he was one of the best, if not the best pitcher in baseball. It was probably between him, Kershaw, Scherzer, Verlander, bunch of guys in that mix, whatever. But when Corey Kluber is healthy and pitching like Corey Kluber can, he is a top 20 pitcher in baseball, and he works so well in that rotation. So the Yanks are going to put out a top three of Garrett Cole, Jamison Tyone, and Corey Kluber, and then back that with Davey Garcia and Jordan Montgomery. Or, I mean, they still have the opportunity to bring back James Paxton. Tanaka's gone. He's going to play in Japan next year. But James Paxson's still on the free agent market. Why not make a move for him? You've got money. Go out, sign James Paxton, and then you've got Cole, Tyone, Paxson, and Kluber as your top four. And those are four all-star level starting pitchers that could rival the Padres. So we've seen two teams really this offseason really bolster up that starting rotation, which, you know, you love to see it. I'm a fan of the Yankees. I like what they're doing. I like their culture, you know. I like their fans, I guess. I mean, I know people don't like Yankees fans, but all the Yankees fans that I've had interaction with have been really, you know, cool people and fun and funny and whatever. But the Yankees, I like what they're doing. I would like I would I mean honestly, I would like to see them back in the in the World Series and ideally against the Cardinals. I think that's what baseball's meant to be. It's meant to be Cardinals and Yankees in the World Series. Two winningest franchises in baseball history and two of the more prestigious best franchises in sports history. I don't want to get off on a Cardinals prestige rant, whatever. I like what the Yankees are doing. I like the Yankees. The Yankees got a lot better 
and they are obviously still the team to beat in the American League. A couple more things to talk about here. Starting with the Philadelphia Phillies, they went out and brought back JT Realmuto for five years, 115 mil. Was that a good was that a good deal? I don't know. JT Realmuto is obviously a top two catcher in baseball. I'd put him at two behind Grandal. I know people think he's better. He's probably a better and more well-rounded player overall than Grandal is just because he can run the bases real well. And for a, for a catcher especially, I mean, that's real good. I still think Grandal's better. But JT Realmuto signing that big deal, breaking the catcher AAV record. And if you look at him over the past two seasons, he's had a 19.5 fielding runs above average. And since 2018, he has had a 118 weighted runs created plus, a 215 ISO, and around a 107 DRC plus since 2019. So a very, very solid hitter, a very, very solid fielder, and a very, very solid base runner. He's obviously going to fit right into the middle of that lineup around Harper and Hoskins and whatever, McCutcheon, and whatever else the Phillies decide to do this offseason. I maybe would have liked to see the Phillies prioritize relief pitching this offseason as opposed to getting Real Muto back. I know a lot more people were wanting to see JT back. Uh, Phillies fans would have been real upset if they didn't get JT back on the team. Fan favorite, um, clubhouse favorite. But I think they could be doing more to improve that bullpen, which was historically bad last year, one of the worst bullpens in the history of baseball, and they have done really nothing to improve um, that bullpen this year. And there's guys that are still on the market, you know, like Ken Giles, like I said, who was a Philly before. He's a guy that you can bring in and immediately make your closer and immediately have a guy that can can end games smoothly. His Hector Neris hasn't done too great of a job of that recently, and you can take some stress off his shoulders. You can take some stress off your younger guy's shoulders. And it really just hasn't seemed like they're prioritizing doing that so far this offseason, which is pretty disappointing. I want to see the Phillies in the playoffs. I want to see Bryce Harper playing playoff baseball again. So I guess we'll just have to be more patient in waiting for that. The Phillies are still in need of a shortstop. Didi Gregorius is a free agent. I mean, they could bring him back. Not sure how they want to do that. Now that Simeon's off the board, who was looking like a realistic option there, Didi seems to be the guy. Um, Angelton Simmons is off the board as well. He's in. Uh, Angelton Simmons is off the board as well. He's in Minnesota. So Didi Gregorius seems like the smart option to bring back. You could make a trade for somebody, maybe like a, whatever, like a Willie Adamas from the um, Tampa Bay Rays. But Didi bringing him back seems to be the most logical solution and it might be a bit of an overpay but um i mean they need to fill a hole at shortstop so kind of got to do what you got to do trevor bauer is yet to sign a contract anywhere and has yet to really have any information public about how his market is shaping up it's pretty confusing i know that the angels are out on Bauer right now, they're still going to try to add to that rotation, which is in desperate need of some fixing there. I had the Angels as the far and away favorites to get Trevor Bauer at the beginning of the offseason, and they were in rumors and involved in, in talks and stuff with Bauer throughout the whole offseason, but 
that's seeming more and more unrealistic. And from the reports that are coming out right now, it seems like the Mets are kind of running away as the favorites to sign Bauer, of course, which is going to set up a pretty good top-of-the-rotation punch right there with DeGrom, Syndergaard, and Bauer. And then they brought back Stroman, obviously, who's going to be their fourth guy, and then I guess David Peterson's going to start some games as well now that Steven Matz is gone. So Bauer doesn't really seem to be near a deal. He wants to break the AAV record set by Garrett Cole last offseason, and I mean, I've got a lot of strong opinions on Bauer, and I'll talk about, I'll kind of touch on that, I guess, here in a second, but I don't think he deserves to come even remotely close to breaking the AAV record. I think he deserves somewhere in the 15 to $20 million range per year, but obviously he thinks he's a lot worth a lot more than that, and so does his agent, and so do a lot of dumb front office executives. So he's probably going to end up getting upwards of $40 million a year, which is just criminal. Now, I am not really a big Trevor Bauer guy. A lot of people are. He's doing a lot, I guess, to grow the game. I'm just not a huge fan of the guy that he is, and I think he's extremely overrated by uh, the general public and by a lot of people at MLB Network. You saw the Shredder put out their top 10 starting pitchers list, and Trevor Bauer was coming in at four. Trevor Bauer, who was an average to below average starting pitcher in 2019, and then pitches 70 good innings and then is all of a sudden the top five pitcher, like that's just preposterous. That's awful. And I've had some strong opinions on how Bauer's 2021 is going to go, I run the Instagram account MLB.Undervalued, which is, I mean, if a lot of you probably follow it if you're coming from from either of my Instagram accounts or from Twitter or something. But I have talked a lot about and I made a post about Trevor Bauer being due for regression. I'm just going to go ahead and read off here what I have written down or what I wrote in the post here. Trevor Bauer is the most coveted arm in free agency after a Cy Young caliber 2020 season. So I made this before the awards were announced. He ended up going on to win the Cy Young. He's likely to sign a very big deal this winter. Bauer is a very solid pitcher, but there are some underlying factors that could hint at another year of aggression for Trevor Bauer, kind of referring to 2018's regression into 2019. Concern number one would be his fly balls. Some worrying stats would be his 1.11 home runs per nine, and his 47.8 fly ball rate. He is a fly ball and strikeout reliant pitcher, and he's been that way for pretty much his whole career, which isn't ideal at all. His 47.8 fly ball rate led all pitchers in baseball in 2020, and among the pitchers who ranked in the top 10 in F4 in 2020, Bauer's 1.11 home runs per nine ranked second highest. If Bauer were to stay in Cincinnati for the foreseeable future, he ought to work on cutting down those fly balls considering the hitter's haven that is Great American Ballpark. I'm not sure if he's going to stay in Cincinnati. It seems like he's not going to. It seems like he's going to go to the Mets, which is a much less hitter-friendly park than Great American is. But regardless of the park, he still really needs to cut down that home runs per nine and that fly ball percentage and all that stuff. Concern number two would be his luck. He's gotten very lucky over the past couple of seasons and especially, well, I, not past couple seasons, because 2019, he was just plain average, mediocre. But in 2020, he got extremely lucky. He had a two point, he had a point two one five BABIP and a 12.0 home run for, per fly ball rate. An average BABIP for a pitcher is around 0. 300. 
and Bowers.215, BABIP can prove to be a tad concerning going forward. It is likely that Bowers' BABIP regresses back to the mean of roughly 300, as fly balls or balls in general likely drop more than they did this year. Bowers, 12.0 home run per fly ball rate is much lower than that of pitchers with similar fly ball rates, excluding guys like Denelson Lamette and Marco Gonzalez who play in pitchers' ballparks. We are likely to see many more fly balls flying out of the stadium with Bauer on the mound, and that BABIP and home run per fly ball rate will inevitably, inevitably, geez, I can't talk, catch up to him in the future and catch up to that fly ball rate. Overall, Bauer... He's a really solid pitcher, and I'd say he's top 15, maybe borderline top 10, I don't know. Um, but his high fly ball rate is going to be a concern for his success going forward, and I I do expect his numbers to regress back to 2019-ish Trevor Bauer um, going forward in the future. Over the past three years, which has included his two really above-average seasons in his entire career, He's had a 3.18 ERA, a 3.38 FIP, a 3.71 XFIP, and a 3.61 Sierra. He's good, and I'm not saying he's not good, but people just overrate him so much, and it's just getting ridiculous, and it just kind of fuels the the dislike for Bauer. I mean, he's not a great guy, like I said, and the fact that people are on their hands and knees, whatever, praising Trevor for every little time that he'll call out a reporter for doing their job and then be like, oh, well, he won Cy Young. How are you going to take that away? He's fiery on the mound, whatever. Just, come on, just shut up, man. Look at the stats. He's been he's been good over the past three years, but the last time he set foot and pitched in a full season, he was an average to below average pitcher. And I don't think he can sustain 2020 success into 2021. I think any team that goes out there and throws $40 million a year at Trevor Bauer is just completely incompetent. But there are more than enough incompetent front offices that would go out and throw that kind of money at Trevor Bauer, teams that are desperate to com- to compete. And are the Mets that team? I'm not sure. It's seeming like they are. Um, I don't think their front office is completely horrible, but certainly Trevor Bauer doesn't deserve what he's going to end up getting whenever he does sign, which is, it might end up being in spring training, who knows. That fool is really milking his free agency and really having a fun time with it. So, we'll see how that shapes up. His market is kind of becoming more clear right now, and he is due for massive regression, and he's going he's gonna to go get his bag and then be an average starting pitcher in baseball for the next three whatever years before he's out of the league, before he's 35. Now, there are some other rumors that are going around right now that, as a Cardinals fan, are getting me pretty excited. I won't really cover those right now until there's a more definitive report about it because all that's come out is that athletic article by Ken Rosenthal about Nolan Arenado and the Cardinals and all that jazz. Cardinals brought back Adam Wainwright last night. It looks like they're going to bring back Yadier Molina. I won't comment too much on that. I'll save that for a later date once the whole Cardinals offseason plan kind of becomes a reality because as of right now, I have no clue what they're trying to do. But just thought I'd touch on that a little bit and say that I'm really amped and anxious as a Cardinals fan to see what this trade might look like and if this trade goes down in general. So we'll talk about that later and we'll talk about you know, other maybe smaller moves, or if Bauer signs in the next week, which is probably a 0% chance of happening, then 
whenever I decide to put out episode eight, I will go ahead and touch on those types of things. So I think I'm going to end it here. I've talked about everything I want to talk about. Most of the big name free agents have signed now and the Hall of Fame voting happened, obviously. So those are the big topics that are going on in baseball right now. And the offseason is starting to heat up now and guys are signing places. It's starting to become prediction time. And I'm getting excited for baseball season. I know that it has felt like it's felt like a quick offseason to me, I think. It was a quick turnaround from the 2020 season into free agency like it is every year, blah, blah, blah. And I'm just excited to get baseball back. Fans or not, they're playing a full 162, or it seems that way at least. And that is just really making me happy, especially when your team has a chance to compete for the division like that boat that I'm in with St. Louis. There's a lot to be excited about. So like I said, I'll end it there. Thank you guys so much for listening. I will try to be more consistent with this. I know I have been really awful at putting out episodes. This is my first episode in six months or whatever, but I will try to be more consistent. It was one of my resolutions for the new year was to put out more consistent episodes of this. And I like talking about baseball and baseball is going to be going on now for the next 12 months. It's a year round sport. So we've got a lot to talk about. There's still free agents on the board that need to be signed. There's predictions to be made. And then after that, it's baseball season, and then we can start putting out some episodes talking about what's going on in baseball right now. A lot to be excited about, a lot to talk about. Thank you all for listening. This has been Sabercast, and I will catch you guys later.